Welcome to Season 8 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast out of Western New York. My name is Laura Evans. I'm a former environmental lawyer, current natural resources planner, animal lover, and gardener. I'm also the author of Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law, which is available as an ebook, paperback, and audiobook. The Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges as we all live together on this beautiful, living, and interconnected planet Earth. Hello, welcome to another episode of Season 8 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast. Today is July 25th, 2023, and I am sitting here in Hamburg, New York, about to create an episode without interviewing someone, and this one is going to be all about gardening, my perspectives on gardening, why I care so much about it, why I love plants, and the evolution of my own understanding of plants and gardening and why it really matters so much for sustainability. And I will say that as a child and really into my like early to mid-20s, I didn't really like plants or gardening all that much. Maybe that's because I did too many <laughs> gardening chores as a child. I'm not sure, but I did vow to my mother as a kid that I would never own a single plant. And that has definitely changed. <laughs> and I really do believe that gardening is one of the best ways for everyone to, of all ages, from every walk of life, it's the best way to really get down into the earth and really practice sustainability and really like viscerally understand that we are connected to this planet. We're a part of nature. And all of these things are definitely <laughs> blasphemous, but they are so important. Um, we really do live on this incredible planet that is full of life and is really unlike any other place. And as we are dealing with so many environmental problems these days with wildfires, water pollution, plastic pollution, I mean, I can name so many. Gardening, it does this twofold thing. There's the connection to the earth. You just remember that you're a part of it. And then there's also a survival piece. Like I do feel much more safe and grounded in the fact that I, you know, if if things really came down to it, I do know how to grow some of my own food. And I think that there is a lot of opportunity there for just different perspectives, different ways to interact with one another, to share with one another and create a lot of a a lot of abundance through gardening and plants. So I Yep, I really care about it. And I also, I really wanted to do this episode now because I'm very excited that tomorrow I'm going to be interviewing the owners of Primeval Forest Nursery. And following that interview, I do have more interviews set up with other women and people who are, are gardeners, uh, run nurseries, and really care a lot about plants. 
this podcast, um, Sarah Sorcy of Sweet Flag Herbs has been on the Keeping Things Alive podcast a few times, and she really talks about herbalism, herbal medicine. And yeah, I mean, I'm right now I just keep talking about growing plants for food, but also the medicine that they can bring and that they do bring. I have been drinking tea out of the plants that I grow now for years. This summer, I've really upped the amount of tea that I drink from the plants that I grow and that, yeah, reciprocity, the cyclical nature of it, and then the actual medicine from it is really powerful. And so I want I want to just make this more accessible for everyone. And I want to explain myself a little bit when, yeah, it's like, why, why is this so important? I talk about it a lot and I, I really want to get into the why. So I thought I would start out by reading an excerpt of Silent Seasons. It's the gardening section of my pandemic pause chapter. And I think that this will just give you a little bit of a flavor of where I'm coming from, why I'm doing it. And then you'll also get to hear a little bit from the later chapter, later, an excerpt from one of the later chapters of the book. So here we go. Growing and cooking my own food. One winter evening in 2017, I was a guest on a Buffalo State College radio show to talk about the Keeping Things Alive podcast and my environmental law background. The host asked me what advice I would give to people who want to help the earth. I think he expected me to tell the listeners that they should join an environmental nonprofit organization and start writing letters to the editor advocating for electric vehicles, but instead I answered, build a garden, grow vegetables and herbs, and use what you grow in your cooking. My response is still the same today. During this pandemic pause, I worked with my neighbor, who is also a good friend, to build a raised bed garden in the side yard of our six-unit apartment building. I had taken a community gardener class at the Sustainable Food Center in Austin, Texas, years before, and still had the instructions on how to construct a simple wooden raised bed garden, add in a mixture of dirt that would grow vegetables well, plant seedlings from the local plant store, and start growing a portion of our food. There was already one raised bed garden in our yard that my parents helped me install four years prior, and we added an additional one so we could start the process together and grow more food. By making the second garden with my neighbor, we lessened the work and increased the fun by sharing gardening duties with one another. We were already friends, but this experience brought us closer because we had a physical project that we were building and achieving together. We were outside a lot, which gave us the opportunity to talk to our neighbors when they would walk, when they would stop and ask us what we were up to as they walked by. In a world of quarantine and social distancing before vaccines became available, building and working in our garden was one of the best social tools. I learned the sustainability lesson that cooperative activities that involve building something mutually beneficial for all involved is a great way to strengthen relationships, especially in difficult times. To be honest, our garden did not produce much food that year, and then we both moved out of our apartments the following year. Although we have multiple theories about why the plant stayed small and low on vegetables, one physical mistake we understood quickly is that we built the garden next to the side of the house and near too many trees, so it did not get as much sun as it needed throughout the day. The plants still grew, flowered, and produced some vegetables, but they were all small and we did not save on our grocery bills at all. 
Luckily, I was already producing food from the other raised bed garden with better sun coverage, so we were still able to enjoy some fruits of our labor. I have been growing herb plants and a handful of annual vegetables in a small raised bed garden every year since 2014. Between June and November, I walk into my backyard and harvest fresh herbs and vegetables from my garden to add nourishment and local energy to nearly every meal I cook. Incorporating parsley, rosemary, and green beans to my otherwise grocery store-bought meals is something I have grown to cherish over the years because I have learned and deeply incorporated the sustainability lesson that when I cook with food I grow, my body is more nourished, I feel better, and I am more effective at life. Okay, so that is what I wrote in 2021, and I still feel the same way now in 2023. So that was a very interesting summer during the pandemic of building this new raised bed garden. And yeah, it um, it did not really produce that many vegetables. It was a little bit of a gardening failure. Um, but like I say in the book, I mean, we really did learn a lot. We had another garden and it really did. It was it was definitely the garden that grew the least amount of food for me ever. And looking at my garden right now, which is just like going absolutely wild, I definitely can see that the conditions were not ideal for it. And I think that that's something, you know, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, I don't have a green thumb or I kill every plant even if I look at it. And you know, there is some truth to that. Like there are certain plants and there are many conditions that don't work for plants. But if you have a sunny place and you have soil that is nutritious and you water it regularly and you honestly put a lot of intention into the plant of helping it grow, there is going to be some success. And, you know, we did grow some plants. It just wasn't this like, massive amount of food at all. Everything seemed like a little dwarfed. And like I said in the book, I I do believe it was because there wasn't enough sunlight. So now that I read that, I want to keep going into gardening and cooking and this deep connection to the earth. And I made a note for myself that, you know, it's, it's really... In the last episode that I recorded with uh, Susie DeVoe and talked about pranic healing, towards the end of the episode, just after she had given um, me all of this information about pranic healing and all this um, more spiritual energy healing work, I wanted to ask her, yeah, how do you approach eating? Because, and I, I do think I want to ask more people that question, and I guess I'm kind of asking myself right now. But how I approach eating is really trying to get as many local seasonal fruits and vegetables into my diet as possible. And when I am gardening and actually getting the food from the garden that I grow, that is, there's just an extra amount of nourishment. And, you know, I, I, We all, well, I have grown up in a culture, and if you're listening to this in the United States and a lot of Western countries, you, you know, everyone's pretty obsessed with like science and the numbers and the chemistry and like what exactly is working to what, what is that nutrient? They really narrow in on a nutrient. 
but I really do, this is something that other people have taught me, Sarah Sorcy, uh, other like indigenous uh, approaches to life. It's really about the whole plant and it's even about the whole ecosystem. And so since we are a part of that and then we are consuming plants that are in the area that we live, there is an added benefit and added energy to it. You know, you really like, you know, it's pretty weird that I'm, you know, in Western New York, it it gets really cold in the winter and then, you know, you can eat pineapple like that. You're not really, that's not how your body's made. And it's not really, that's not, it's a mismatch of food and your body. And so, you know, the more that I can eat with the seasons and then yeah, adding this additional element of gardening. I just, it's really, it really does make a difference in my health and well-being. So now I want to talk a little bit, and I did this in the introduction already, so I'm not going to like go too crazy about it, but with my gardening history, and I did say, you know, I really didn't like it when I was growing up. I definitely preferred animals. I, I even had a flashback to, um, starting college, you know, my freshman year, I'm 18 years old and I like had a fish tank. Um, and it's like, looking back, it's like, I could have had a plant instead of a fish. I mean, the fish, they died immediately and they were sick. It was just, fish should not be in tanks. I, I've learned that lesson the hard way. And I feel really still have a little bit of pet guilt of a lot of different animals. But yeah, I was much more interested in animals than plants. And I kept that up until after I went to law school. And when I started being a a lawyer, I guess, you know, looking back on it now, Austin, Texas, I mean, it really, there are a lot of people there that have been, I mean, there's people everywhere that are doing really incredible work with plants and gardening, but I would say that Austin, Texas had and has um, a lot of plant love and a lot of natural beauty and a lot of people that are doing really incredible gardening and sustainability work. So, so much so that they have a sustainability food center in Austin, Texas, and they have various community classes for both gardening and cooking. So I took a community gardening class in around 2012, 2013, something like that. I was I was still practicing law and it was something that I did on the weekends. And it was, they taught us how to make a raised bed garden and using the square foot gardening method. And so I think it was like a five by five uh, square foot garden that we learned how to make. And then I made one at my house you it's because it's a raised bed you don't have to worry about the soil quality I mean there is still the possibility of some heavy metals or chemicals leaching up from from the base uh, ground but we did cover it with a lot of um cardboard coffee uh what do they got like like big coffee bags um And that was more to stamp out weeds, but then we filled it up with a mix of topsoil, peat moss. um, There's a a combination of soil that we added to it, and it was 
so that you could just grow your plants in whatever the soil was that you put in it instead of worrying about what was in the ground. Because I will say, yeah, if you do start gardening and you aren't doing a raised bed, you really do want to get your soil tested because there is always a possibility that there is some sort of chemical or yeah, something that is not, you do not want the plants to take up and then you eat and put it into your body. So that summer, it was really amazing. I mean, this class was just so hands-on. It, we built a the garden bed in a community that was going to use it for community garden in the future. We were supposed to track how much food we created and then give it away to other people. I have to say that it's been a slow learning process for me year by year of how to best harvest the the plants that I grow and really use them. I mean, it's easy to walk outside and grab some herbs and then cook with them. But these plants are really growing like fast and they make a lot of food. And so you got to continuously harvest them, dry them, freeze them, give them away. And as I'm saying this, it does sound like a lot of work and it is a lot of work. But that's when, you know, you just sort of have one plant instead of the, I don't know, 30 plus that I'm currently uh, taking care of. So yeah, it was, that summer was really good. You know, in Austin, Texas, it's very hot. And so I would do a lot of gardening in the morning and the evenings. The plants really did seem to love the heat. And then something really great about Austin is that there's actually two growing seasons. So I was able to have both a summer garden and a winter garden where you can have more of the like kale and broccoli and some cold weather vegetables. So I'll also say that I definitely gravitate towards growing herbs because I do like to cook so much. I find them to be a lot easier, a little bit more forgiving, you know, the a thyme plant just isn't as sensitive as a tomato plant or something that's growing these big juicy vegetables. I also find that herbs, there's a lot less pests that you have to deal with, like the, you know, the different beetles and slugs and things like that. They just don't seem to be quite as into herbs as they do vegetables. Um, I currently am growing some beans and the Japanese beetles continue to eat the leaves. So I am constantly picking Japanese beetles off of my plants, feeding them to my mom's chickens. And yeah, circle of life. It's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's always a bit of a battle, but I do really, so I started off with herbs. I grow mostly herbs and I do that for cooking, but then, like I said before, also tea. So I learned, I've been it's just, it's an evolution. Like every year I just get a little bit better at it. I would say last year I had a lot of amazing herbs in my garden, but for some reason in my head, I thought I had to harvest them all at the end of the year. And so I kind of waited until like August and September to do my harvest. And and I would pick a little bit of plants, but Then once I was like reading about how to do it, I realized, oh, I should have been doing this throughout the whole growing season. And then I would have gotten like so many more, um, so much more plant matter because when you cut back a plant, it tends to grow back bushier and there's more flowers, there's more leaves. And so that is something that I learned. It's more of a like consistent maintenance of of taking off leaves and flowers rather than just all at once because you you won't get as many. 
So flowers are another thing that I have started growing a lot more. And I have to thank Sarah Sorcy again of Sweet Flag Herbs for this. She uh, this year created something called a Lumia box, which you can find on her website. And she, we did kind of like a, a barter trade. So I got a Lumia box and Sarah got design software. <laughs> um, but anyway, she, she created this um, package of different seeds that have to do with European traditions in the garden. And I really, it's kind of a newer approach for me, but I really do understand and believe that um, like white people, European Americans, they're so disconnected from their like ethnicity and ancestry and where they come from. And if you go back to, I mean, even my grandparents, but much farther back the um, different, um, different cultures and different people, they all use plants medicinally if you, if you really look into it. And so um, really trying to look back at to European traditions in the garden and finding different plants that um, people have been using for thousands of years for various uh, purposes, medicine, food, ritual, and flowers are a big part of that. So Sarah included these seed packets in with her Lumia box, and we have Bachelor Button and Calendula from her. And I had been doing chamomile for a while, but yeah, growing these flowers, cutting off the flower heads pretty quickly as they bloom, and then boom, boom, they just keep going and going and going. So I'm constantly like cutting off flowers, drying them, and then putting them in jars for tea. I also like to just make bouquets too, because they are really quite beautiful, and the pollinators love them too. So I've definitely noticed an evolution in how I think about flowers to just being like, oh, they're pretty or like, oh, like Valentine's Day, is, you know, is whatever. Everybody's getting roses. Oh, that person didn't get roses. I don't know. But um, there's definitely, there's so much more to it than that. They, I mean, flowers themselves often are edible. Uh, roses, for example, um, Sarah Sorcy took took me and some silent season supporters on a plant walk in June and explained that no matter what rose it is, whether you bought it, you know, a fancy variety at a nursery or you're finding a wild rose in the forest, um, they none of them are poisonous. All of them are edible and they all make really good tea. So something to learn. And so the flowers, they're just an additional thing for me to grow, you know, someone has like a loss in their life, you can give them flowers. I mean, I, I forgot about this, but in college, I took a, a horticulture class, it was more for fun. And every Friday, there was a new theme. And flower arranging was one of them. And I absolutely loved it. And so I ended up writing my final paper on the psychological benefits of having fresh cut flowers in your home and at least the the paper that I wrote and the research I was reading you know back in 2007 was saying that there are like incredible psychological benefits to having flowers around and yeah I don't know I've definitely gone through some losses in my life and when people give me flowers there's just there's something really special about that and something really meaningful and it does help the grief process so yep I'm all about flowers these days 
And I'm also going to talk about vegetables, which I know I've already mentioned. I'm kind of a cyclical talker and thinker, so bear with me. But the vegetables, they're coming a little bit later in my gardening experience and time, mainly because, like I said before, they're just a little bit harder to grow. Um, The pests love them because they like to eat them too. So at the moment, I have some tomatoes beans, corn, and squash. And I guess that we, so yeah, let's transition into my garden today. So my garden today, which literally this year consists of a raised bed garden and which is in like, I don't know, I'm not thrilled that it's a plastic raised bed garden, but it's about this is literally like, it's not just raised bed, like, oh, you're like building it on top of the ground. There's actually like, um, legs that it stands on. So it's about three feet tall and it's like hovering over the ground. So I guess I don't, there is something missing there where the plants aren't connected to the soil of the earth. They're like suspended above in plastic. Um, but I have to say that if you have a bad back or you just, um, yeah, don't, don't really feel comfortable bending over all the time. This raised bed garden is pretty sweet. It's pretty nice to garden standing up. I've never had that experience before, and I definitely like it. So I've got a bunch of flowers and herbs in there. It's the easiest place for me to just run out back from the kitchen, grab some thyme, grab some rosemary, and then go back into the kitchen and keep cooking. And I like that garden. It's nice. Oh, I also have holy basil, a Tulsi in that one, and that is definitely my favorite uh, annual plant. So annual plants, they only, you have to plant them every year. Perennials, they stick around year after year. So this annual plant is, it's just my favorite tea. So I will, you know, continue to harvest the leaves and the flowers, dry them, keep them in jars, and it's it tastes really good. I love what it tastes like, but also it is, um, it's really calming without being like drowsy. So yeah, it just, it helps with a lot of stress relief and I, I really recommend it. So I've got this, yeah, the raised bed garden going. And then on the side of the house I'm staying at, I also installed a garden that goes straight into the dirt And I know that this place has really uh, clean soil, and this is the first time since I've been little with my mom's garden that I actually have a garden that's like directly in the ground and isn't in a raised bed. And I do have to say that the plants are really taking off, and I do love that, yeah, deep connection right into the soil. So I have been adding a lot more native plants to the plants that I'm growing this year, including one called Blue Vervain, which now that I am growing it, I do see it in a lot more places, but that's another really good herb for tea and stress relief. I have to say it doesn't taste quite as good as holy basil, but I'm trying to get used to it. And my other big thing is that I'm doing the Three Sisters, which is corn, bean, and squash. And this is a indigenous um, planting method where the corn grows up and, you know, the stalks go up and then you have the beans that are wrapping around the corn stalks. 
And then you're growing squash in the middle of this uh, sort of, I don't know, (laughs) this circle of plants. And so far, so good for me. I mean, it is really turning into this big, like, ball of greenery. And like I said before, I am at war with the Japanese beetles. But, um, you know, you just kind of go and take them off and they're, they don't really hurt you. They're just eating away at your plants and there's a lot of them. So you just kind of keep at it. And I have been publishing, publishing, posting once a week garden updates on my, I think Instagram and Facebook, just my, my more personal one. But it's been really fun to watch everything grow. It has been taking off, um, the difference between the raised bed garden I was talking about um, in my book to this one, which is not raised bed, but it's about the same size. I mean, the tomato plants are taller than me at this point. Oh, I know what plant I'm growing that's crazy. This is, you know, fun fact. I'm growing a loofah squash, which my entire life, you know, I was this stays old until I realized that I thought that loofahs that you get, you know, to scrub your skin and exfoliate, I thought they were some sort of like sea creature or sea plant that was harvested from the ocean. But that is not true. Uh, Loofahs are actually a squash that can be grown. I don't know, definitely here, probably a lot of places. And once you harvest this big squash, you Somehow, I got to figure out exactly how to do it, but you're able to take out all of the inner stuff and the seeds and then you dry it out and then that becomes the exfoliating sponge. So my sister wanted to try it. I, yeah, I have one of these seeds. It is crawling up the entire side of the, the house right now. It's a, it's a really, really wild plant. I'm excited to see what happens and yeah, what kind of loofah sponges I get out of this, but yeah, I am trying to like have a little bit of fun with it, try to experiment and try new things. Oh, I keep going on and on. I just want to talk about all of my plants, but I will say one more that I have in there is sweetgrass, and that was given to me by um, another person I hope to have on the podcast, Ken Parker. He um, He's really amazing with native plants, and he has... Um, kind of a a stash of sweetgrass that he's been cultivating over the years and, you know, breaking off and giving to people and then it keeps expanding. And so, yeah, that was another book barter, you know, give him a book in exchange for sweetgrass. And I'm really excited about that because it is definitely a really um, powerful plant that, you know, people use in a lot of ceremonial purposes and more like smudging sort of stuff. But it's also like makes a really nice tea, and I can't wait to harvest that. It'll the book um, braiding sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I mean that she talks about sweetgrass, and that's the title of her book. So it is. I am, yep, extra excited about that plant, and watching it grow has been so wonderful. So I am going, man. <laughs> It's already been 30 minutes and I can just keep going, but I'm close to being done with what I wanted to talk about. And the other thing I wanted to say is just what I have as a vision for my garden of the future. Um, Yeah, at some point I do want to own my own house. Like I said, I, I really do care about land so much in this moment. And 
when I do have a place where I, I want to be long-term, I do plan on uh, creating gardens that are more based on permaculture. And permaculture is the practice of, you know, really growing uh, plants and everything to be aligned with nature and aligned with the seasons so they can kind of, yeah, permaculture, <laughs> I should break that down better, but to me, it sounds like permanent and that might not be true, but it's definitely like a way to work with the earth, work with the land that you have and continuously produce food that is in relationship with everything else in it. So, you know, integrating like chickens, um, trees, shrubs, things that keep continuing. It's very related to the concept of food forests. And that's another thing that I want to do with all of my gardening in the future. And that is really um, planting trees and shrubs and other plants that are producing food and fruit and that can continue it. So you don't, it's not like this constant chore, you know, like I'm saying, oh, I'm always like dealing with Japanese beetles or I'm constantly doing this or that. It's, It's more of a all of this stuff is more of a letting it go, go with the flow and be with nature so that you can yeah, be producing food and medicine and beauty um, without it being like this huge project and a lot of work. I mean, there is intention. You need to set up things like over time and it evolves. But the ultimate goal is to really be like working with the systems that you're a part of. And to me, that is like the essence of sustainability and what I really want to see more of in the world. So that is my whole spiel on gardening, why I care, how I approach it. And yeah, you'll be hearing a lot more about plants from future guests. I did want to give you a few resources to check out, and that would be Square Foot Gardening is a book by Mel Bartholomew, And that's really how I got started with the square foot gardening method. Um, That class that I took recommended it to me. It's really great. It's very hands-on. It's very clear. So I I highly recommend that. And then also um, Cornell Cooperative Extension. They have, um, especially in New York State, they have different little like satellite offices and they will really help um, both farmers but then home gardeners be able to grow what they want and garden how they want. So recommend them. And then there's also a book called The Alchemy of Herbs by Rosalie DeForest. And I've definitely talked about that on this podcast before. Sarah Sorcy recommended it to me. But that is a great, great book that explains all about different herbs and then gives you recipes of how to incorporate them in your food, some of its, you know, little medicine, um, beauty products, things like that. And it's all very straightforward, really beautifully written and presented. So, yep, I love that book too. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will be here soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. For more information about sustainability, this podcast, and my book, Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law, please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org.